Welcome to the Game Guide Podcast, your guide to the world of gaming. My name is Phil, and I'm glad to have you here today. I am back from vacation, and I would say vacation was good overall. Every vacation has its own minor mishaps. We did get a pop tire on our rental vehicle that we had, but we were able to make it through pretty well and got to see a lot of things on the West Coast. I was able to see the parts of San Francisco, especially the Golden Gate Bridge area, so when Horizon Forbidden West comes out, we'll see how accurate they keep it to that area or if they change things up. Now, obviously, if you have things set in a in a post-catastrophic world, there's going to be some changes, and you can see the Golden Gate Bridge is separated from anything else in the background in that gameplay trailer, but I saw some other things around in the area, and it seems like it'll spend a lot of time in the California area or something like that, so we should be able to get more idea of how that will go on. So I'm going to do this podcast as if you have not heard of any major news these past couple of weeks, like you took a break from video games like I did. So you may have heard these things already as they were promoted a lot, but I want to go through them for my sake in case you haven't been keeping up with gaming news, as I think they are good things to know. One thing I will mention is there's a lot of news going around around right now about the lawsuit that the state of California is having against Activision for their horrible employee practices. I won't really get into that too much because it includes a lot of bad stuff, but you can always look into that more. But I think it simply has to be said. I don't think anything like that should be happening in the video game industry or for companies or for just women in general in that matter. So we'll see how everything pans out there, but it's not a good look for Activision at all. And thoughts and prayers to all the employees affected by by any sort of mistreatment in the Activision case and the video game industry at large. But to start out, we'll start off with the first thing that happened right when I started going on my vacation was Nintendo finally announced the Switch Pro, which is called the Nintendo Switch OLED model. It will launch October 8th and will be priced at $34,999. So $50 more than the regular Switch. The new OLED model will feature a white and a neon red slash neon blue version color. So this is the same kind of red blue that you would have with the Switch. But now instead of the default gray, they're going with white. The Switch OLED model will feature a 7-inch OLED screen. Surprise, surprise. A wide adjustable stand so it's able to support itself more when you set it on a table and whatnot. A built-in wired LAN support, which does take away one of the USB supports in the back, but now you can directly plug in your your LAN without having to get an external adapter. It comes with 64 gigabytes internal storage and also enhanced audio for the handheld switch. They didn't go into much specifics about what that entailed, but I'm assuming the sound quality will be a bit better for the handheld play. Now... Am I interested in getting this at all? Absolutely not. I don't really play too much in handheld mode. I'm usually playing on the TV. I mean, sure, handheld mode is great if I'm laying in bed or on a trip like I just was. But really, I'm playing a lot of things on a TV screen. And the only thing that really changed for a TV playing audience is that you have the built-in wired LAN port. But I already have the external adapter to put in a LAN port, so I don't really need that as much. And I have plenty of SD cards for my own internal storage. So I think this will be a great thing 
to get if you don't have a Switch already. But if you do have a Switch, I feel like your default Switch should be just fine, unless you're really into the handheld gaming part of things. I know I'm going to be playing a lot of visual novels within the next few weeks, so I'll probably be playing more handheld, because it's a lot easier to do that in bed, rather than trying to play an intense game of Smash Brothers or something in handheld. But for the most part, I just won't be playing handheld, so the OLED model just doesn't appeal to me. But I don't think that's the point of it. I think it's supposed to appeal to a new audience that wants to expand and have the features that you get with the handheld experience with the Switch. And Nintendo knows their audience, and they know what will sell. And this will sell quite well. It wouldn't be a great podcast without discussing something about the Persona series. And we had a great announcement that the Persona series is celebrating its 25th anniversary within the next fall to fall year. They'll be teasing seven new projects that are going to be announced between September 2021 and fall 2022. Atlas opened a 25th anniversary website and they have, it, this is all in Japanese, but then they have seven different slots for seven different announcements. One that will be announced in September 2021 and the last one being announcement in autumn of 2022 and then five announcements in between. Now, right now, I'm looking at the site, and you see that the first announcement has a yellowish background, and it has that kind of flickering that you might have with uh, Persona 4. So I'm guessing this will be some sort of Persona 4 announcement, whether it's the Persona 4 Golden coming to other consoles like the Switch and the PlayStation, or perhaps maybe a remaster of Persona 4 Arena Ultimax, it could be a variety of things, but we'll have seven announcements in between then. And one thing that was intriguing to me is that with this 25th anniversary, they have all the protagonists from the Persona series in the logo, which includes five, four, the two from three, the two from two, and the one from one. So Atlas is finally acknowledging Persona 1 and 2 again, which is exciting. So maybe we'll get some sort of remakes or perhaps if they make Ultimax, maybe they'll include Persona 1 and 2 characters, or a variety of things. So this should be exciting, and will give us plenty of Persona announcements. There was already talks with, with Atlas and series producer of Persona that they are working on Persona 6, and they're working hard to make Persona 6 better than Persona 5, but that it's going to be a difficult task to do that. So there's going to be plenty of Persona stuff coming at us this upcoming year and beyond, so I am greatly looking forward to that. And I hope you are too. Speaking of other things that people are looking forward to is, I remember when I was on my trip, and then I checked Twitter, and then entire Twitter feed, like, I couldn't find news about anything else in the video game world, because everyone was talking about Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl, which was announced for the PS5, the Xbox Series, the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, and the Switch. This is essentially Super Smash Brothers for Nickelodeon characters. You have publisher Game Mill Entertainment and developers Ludosity and Fairplay Labs announcing the platform fighting game Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl launching this fall. If you watch the trailer, so far the confirmed characters we have are Michelangelo and Leonardo from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Lincoln Loud and Lucy Loud from The Loud House. That's a newer series. That's really all I know about it because I haven't watched Nickelodeon for many, many years now. But you also have Danny Phantom from Danny Phantom. You have SpongeBob, Patrick, and Sandy from SpongeBob SquarePants. You have Helga from Hey Arnold. 
You have Nigel Thornberry from the Wild Thornberries. You have Oblina from Ah! Real Monsters. You have Powder Toastman from Ren and Stimpy. You have Reptar from Rugrats. And the one I am most excited for is you have Zim from Invader Zim. This game will also feature additional characters that have yet to be announced. 20 Nickelodeon themed levels, a single player and multiplayer game modes, and a variety of other bonus content. It should also be noted that there was a Discord where people could ask questions of the developers and one person asked if there will be rollback netcode for this game and one of the developers said yes on support platforms. So Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl will be getting rollback netcode before a lot of AAA titles, fighting game titles like Super Smash Brothers and Street Fighter. So that's pretty hilarious. If you haven't heard of Ludosity, they are the same company who made Slap City, which is a popular Smash clone that you can play on the PC. So it seems like these people know what they're doing. And at least from the trailer, it seems like things could be fun to, to have and seems like people might get really excited for this. To get into a little bit of speculation territory, when you look at the box art, they have all the characters blacked out so you can't see who's on the box art. But if you look at the shapes, it's a, we're assuming that there might be some other characters that will be coming to this game. And those characters are Korra from Avatar, Aang from Avatar, Cat Dog from Cat Dog, and Ren and Stimpy from Ren and Stimpy. They did show an Avatar stage in the gameplay trailer, so it's probably safe to say that an Avatar character will be in this game. But if you go off the box art outlines, then those characters will probably also be joining the game. So if you're a Nickelodeon fan and you grew up in the 90s and early 2000s watching these characters and you should have a great time with this hopefully i know cartoon network tried a similar thing and they didn't do very well and sony tried their thing and didn't do very well with making a smash clone so we'll see how nickelodeon does and see if it scratches the itch that super smash brothers players have for good online and just more of a super smash brothers melee return to form where it can be a lot more technical when you play the game and try to do advanced techniques like wave dashing should be a great time and i will keep my eye out and see what happens i should also mention that pokemon unite was and had a release date and launch when i was gone which was released on july 21st it is a free to start with optional in-game purchases available and with the ios and android versions following in september so you can get pokemon unite on the switch and if you log in by august 31st you will receive Zera Aura, which is a Pokemon that you can get for free. Just from looking at gameplay and what people are talking about online, it seems like it's a fun game. And we've talked about what the game is about. It's essentially a League of Legends type game. A strategic team battle game that they call it. But there seems to be some unbalance in this game. Like Zera Aura seems to be a very strong character in this game. And also seems pretty easy to beat up the rest of the competition if you pay to win and upgrade items to give yourself better stats so that way you can do better than your opponents i'll probably have to try it at some point just for you know trying it for the sake of the podcast to give you more exact details about what i think about the game but it seems that initial impressions people are liking it but there might be some very big balance issues that they might have to deal with today and down the road i'm sure they have ideas of how to add new characters which will be even more broken so you have to get them and pay for them but it seems like this is how this game will go
in case you don't care about the Switch anymore, Valve also announced the Steam Deck Portable PC Game Hardware. So this will essentially be playing Steam on the go. Of course, if you're playing offline, you'll need to have some games downloaded. But with this, you'll be able to play games straight from this handheld. From initial reports, it seems a bit heavy and clunky, but it has what you need to play play games in an all-in-one portable PC device. It will launch in three different versions this December, with a 64GB version coming at $400, a 256GB version coming at $529 with faster storage, and a 512GB version at $649 with the fastest storage, and a premium anti-glare X-glass for the screen. There are reservation fees, so you have to purchase at least part of the console before you get it fully. And the next wave of this machine isn't expected until Q2 2022 because it's already all sold out. So if you want something at this point, you're going to have to wait a little bit. But we'll see exactly how worth it is with this initial wave. I know a lot of people are looking forward to the modding that you can do. But if you you know, download ROMs and emulators onto your device, then you'll be able to play Nintendo games on the go wherever you, wherever you go, which I'm sure Nintendo won't be happy about that. Now with Steam trying to get in the portable market, they're trying to capture some of the magic that, that the Switch had. It'll be exciting to see how this goes and how Valve moves forward with with this new console. So we got a few games coming out this week that I wanted to go over. One we have is a sequel to The World Ends With You called Neo The World Ends With You coming out for the PlayStation 4 and the Switch on July 27th. As I mentioned, this is a new story in the World Ends With You series where you follow the character Rindo who comes to a grim realization that his life is on the line when he's forced to compete in the so-called Reaper games. There's no telling how this tale will unfold. Put your psychic prowess to the test as you duke it out on the silent streets of Shibuya. So if you enjoyed the first game, I'm sure you'll enjoy this game. I did get the first game for Christmas, but I still haven't played it. But I will try that out at some point so I can let you know how that goes. I mentioned before how I'll be playing some visual novels in the near future. And one of those visual novels is The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles coming out. For the PlayStation 4, PC, and Switch on July 27th, 2021. So these games are, I can't really call them prequels, but they are prequels. They just sent hundreds of years in the Victorian, Britain, and Japan era. Where you have the ancestors of Phoenix Wright and Maya Fey. Where you will be playing as Ryunosuke Naruhodo and doing the same ace attorney gathering evidence finding out who the criminal is objection adventure in the courtroom this will feature a type of jury system where you're having five different people that you're trying to convince if your client is innocent or guilty and the chronicles game will span across two games and so i believe you'll have 10 different mysteries that you can solve i think this is digital only so you'll have to get that unless you get a special bundle in another place but ace attorney games are a lot of fun if you like solving the mysteries and i will be getting this soon this tuesday if you want more action in your life samurai warriors 5 is finally coming out from koei tecmo coming out for the switch playstation 
PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. Talked about this in the past, but this is a Warriors game setting out in the Sengoku period where you are playing in the lives of Nobunaga Oda, Mitsuhide Akeki. You'll have a variety of new and returning characters to choose from as you take on evolving enemy forces who will use a variety of tactics during the story to try to stop you. You'll get the same hack and slash combat that you love with this game, but with new updated visuals and a new design for, for this game. And the last game I'll talk about releasing this week is Tribes of Midgar, releasing on the PC, PlayStation 4, and PlayStation 5 on the 27th. A lot of games coming out on the 27th this week. I want to talk about this game because I remember it from E3. And so in this game, you play either solo or co-op with a team of up to 10 players to resist the oncoming invasion of giants during Ragnarok. Set in different worlds full of dark creatures, hidden gods, and abundant materials to be uncovered, you'll begin the game as a Viking living in a, in a village that houses the seat of Yggdrasil, which is the last bastion that protects the gods from other realms. And so you'll explore the wilderness to craft new weapons and prepare to defend your village from the evil from that may come to attack your village. I think this will be a game that you want to experience with your friends if possible. It's one of those games where you'll work to defend your lands and that's always more fun with friends rather than just doing things by yourself. I haven't looked that into it besides for what happened in E3 and now it's releasing this week. So it's plenty of games to choose from. If you haven't had any, any games that you want to play lately, hopefully one of those will tickle your fancy. So to get into today's topic, while I was on my trip, I had a book that I brought along with me that I had bought previously that I want to talk about earlier, but took the time to read through the rest of it during my trip, and now I'm going to talk about it. I mean, it's a little bit different from talking about a game, but this book is the Ask Iwata book, Words of Wisdom from Satoru Iwata, Nintendo's legendary CEO. If you weren't aware, Satoru Iwata was the CEO, president of Nintendo, and he led the company through the DS, Wii, Wii U era, and he passed away six years ago now on July 11th, 2015. And now we have this sort of biography about him. I mean, when you've been gone for six years, you can't really write a biography of yourself because you can't write anymore. But this is a collection uh, from various interviews and especially from his Iwata Ass series where he had interviews with various game developers and talked about himself as well. And so combine it all together, you have this book, Ask Iwata. What I want to do with this book is just to honor Satoru Iwata a little bit and to go over some things in this book. I wanted to read some of the things that I found intriguing regarding the video games and their history that we know about from this book. There are a lot of different things in this book. So I just talking about working with computers and running a business. And there's also interviews with Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario, and Earthbound slash Mother creator Shigesato Itoi, where they talk about Iwata and the impact he had on them. But I just wanted to tell you about a bit about the various insights we can get with some popular video game titles. Like I said before, you probably know, you might know about these already, but I thought I'd be go over them. And if you want to learn more, you can always get this book. So the first little tidbit came a little bit earlier on 
in page 18 where Iwata or yeah Iwata like assume I I mean Iwata like I'm not talking about the book editors but everything in this book comes from the first person so it's almost like Iwata is talking and has written this book so I'll say Iwata even though it technically might not all come from Iwata but he was talking about how the company he was running at the time HAL Laboratories was not in the best spot but how it was able to catch a lucky break with the title Kirby's Dreamland. Now, Kirby wasn't always the little pink puffball that we know today, as originally he was called Twinkle Popo. And in this section, he talks about how Kirby's Dreamland came to be much more different just because they took the time to change some things up and managed to take on some heat from shareholders. So I'll read this a little bit from the book. It was originally slated Kirby's Dreamland to come out on Game Boy under the title Twinkle Popo, but Shigeru Miyamoto told us, this game deserves more attention. So we put off its release and made a few tweaks and fixes. And eventually it was reborn as Kirby's Dreamland, the first game in what became the Kirby series from Nintendo. Meanwhile, the ads for Twinkle Popo had gone up on schedule and the orders were coming in, around 26,000 in fact. When we canceled the release, it caused a scandal at the company, as you can imagine. From the perspective of the folks in sales, it was a mortal blow to our reputation. In reality though, we wound up selling over 5 million units of Kirby's Dreamland for the Game Boy. A quick calculation shows us to be over 200 times the number of initial orders. Clearly, if we hadn't cancelled the release, the Kirby series as we know it never would have come to be. We often talk about HAL Laboratories and Masahiro Sakurai and Satoru Iwata's involvement with Kirby starting out in that big break for HAL, but Kirby almost didn't exist in the form that he does today and could have just been a forgotten relic of time but now Kirby is who he is today and he's known in all sorts of things like Smash Brothers and has cafes in Japan and all sorts of other cute toys and objects so with rumors that we'll get a new Kirby game at some point it's just nice to know that Kirby is in this timeline Going forward a little bit, we get a little bit of insight in how Shigeru Miyamoto makes games. And it's often involving trying to make sure that anyone who plays is able to have the same experience and knows what to do. Which might be a little creepy to go about that process. So I'll read this part about Miyamoto. Miyamoto makes his games by taking leaps of faith, deciding that if we do this, here's what we can expect. And in that sense, he has a much higher batting average than most but he's not omnipotent and makes his fair share of mistakes. But how does he fix them? By snacking up some person in the company who has never touched the game. He pulls them from their desk without explanation, hands them a controller, and says, All right, play. He's been doing this since he was in middle management, long before he became the internationally renowned game designer. His is today. Huh. I found a typo. I think it's supposed to be internationally renowned game designer he is today, but instead his is today. Well, great work. We all discovered something today. But anyways, since the early days, Miyamoto has been spiriting away these unassuming employees and setting them down with a controller, telling them, go on, play, and watching from behind without further explanation. I like to call this what Miyamoto sees over your shoulder. I didn't understand how crucial this was until we started working together. Once we did, I realized, oh, of course. A person who makes games can't sit down with everyone who buys them and explains, here's how I design things, here's how to play. Obviously, that would be impossible. The product needs to be self-explanatory. 
However, the product is incapable of conveying every single little detail. Some things are going to be lost. Players will wind up confused by things the game designers have never considered. This is what Miyamoto looks for when he watches over your shoulder. So I think that's just a funny little thing and it gives you some insight why the games that Miyamoto designs are often very simple and to the point because he wants players, anyone, to be able to pick up the game and play. Play with Mario, you 2D Mario, you run to the right. With 3D Mario, you go to whatever you see big in the distance or you try to run and catch the star or what have you. So it, that's why all his games are simple, I think, so people can easily understand, which, of course, has its good and its bad moments. I think it works out pretty well here. In case you ever find Miyamoto looking over your shoulder, he's not trying to be creepy. He's just trying to learn more how you play the game. Of course, here is a more famous example of Iwata working his magic on making games. We've had stories, not on this podcast, but in the past where you hear about Iwata was such a whiz at coding that he was able to fit double the game in Pokemon Gold and Silver. That's how you're able to get the Kanto region in addition with the Johto region in that game, thanks to Iwata able, able to crunch things together. And now we have a special insert here on page 77 about resuscitating Earthbound, where when development for Earthbound releases Mother 2 in Japan was in shambles, I was called in to save the sinking ship. At that time, I was both the president of HAL Laboratory and one of its programmers. I tended to agree that the game was not headed in the right direction, so I came right out and said to Itoi, the way it is, I don't think it will work. And I added this, if you'd like, I'd be happy to lend a hand, but I see two ways of going forward. From there, I said something that has become the stuff of legend among gaming fans. Working with what we have, it would take two years to fix things up. If you don't mind working from scratch, we could be done in half a year. In the end, we wound up remaking the game from scratch, but I could have gone about things either way. I think the game would have worked out regardless. So Iwata does go on to talk about how even though the game was made from scratch, a lot of the work was already done. The script was done, the general ideas were done, they just had to remake things that way it was a lot easier to code and understand. But that's how we were able to get Mother 2 Earthbound as we know it today, and even though it wasn't super popular at the time, it eventually made it its way into the gaming sphere that we know today with, I'm assuming, Smash Bros. showing off Ness a lot and Mother 3 being as popular as the game that is among the internet. So it's entirely thanks to Iwata that we know the Mother series as we know it today. One more insight I will go over, which is on page 95, where we look a little bit about the design aspects for the Wii, where they talk about this game console that they were envisioning. The Wii was designed precisely for use with bigger television of this kind, and by this kind they mean the large flat TV screens meant a little bit more open floor space, allowing everyone to move their bodies and play around. In our humble experience, this was a breakthrough before you had the larger bigger TVs which stuck out a lot and you couldn't really move about a lot but the flat screens gave you more space in your living room. With a game console it's not only about what the thing can do but the various conditions under which the gameplay will occur. It may sound obvious but a game console will have all kinds of players. With so many people approaching a product from different points of view what you felt 
was a product with a specific invasion inevitably turns out to be interpreted in many different ways. And then he goes on to talk about how they wanted to make a Wii part of the everyday routine that you would have it, the Wii remote, just like you would have a TV remote, like people instinctively come home and turn on the TV and see what's playing. They had the idea that they wanted the Wii remote to be the exact same thing, like you turn on the Wii and see what's happening in the gaming landscape, why you would have the console disc opening turn blue when you had some sort of news and just have it as a fixture, just like you would have a DVD player. And I think that kind of makes sense now with when I look back at the Wii, where I mean, I did come home from school and I would see what the Wii had in store. And whenever I woke up early in the morning and saw the Wii glowing blue, that would be super exciting to see what kind of news that they would have. So at least for me, it did become a part of my everyday routine. And I think it did come that for a a lot of different other households. I mean, I'm sure some households just got the game console to play Wii Sports, wiggle their Wii remote around a little bit, and they called it a day and store it in their closet. But I think it did accomplish that quite a bit as it was able to sell relatively well and just be a novel concept at the time even when xbox and playstation were starting to focus more on being powerful hd consoles so those were a few of the gaming tidbits i wanted to share from ask Awada. if you can i recommend that you get the book yourself so you can learn not just about other gaming tidbits but just about the gaming industry at large and the things that Awada was able to accomplish so i think it's a great read and Hope you can check it out. But that's all I'll talk about this week. Hope you'll join me again next week as I will probably talk about the visual novel Doki Doki Literature Club as I've now almost completed through Doki Doki Literature Club Plus. So I should be able to give my thoughts on that. But if you have any thoughts, suggestions, or want to email me anything, just send them over to gameguidepodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I will see you next week. And be sure to have a great one and a cool one. Catch you then.